um, we've been going through this thing called, uh, this series about God's self-portrait. And it's, it's vital for us that we understand who God says he is and that we live from that place. And that's exactly what he's been doing this morning. He's been leading us into truth. And the degree to which we take hold of truth is the degree to which we will be set free. So if you are not experiencing freedom in your relationship with God, in your walk with him, then perhaps it's because you, you are not, to some degree, holding on to the truth that he is revealing about himself. You may not be surprised to discover that today we are talking about God is good, his goodness. It's just come through so strongly in what we've been uh, singing and proclaiming this morning. His, his goodness comes through scripture all over the place. I just threw a couple up here for us just to, to feast our eyes on. Um, Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's one of those funny little words because we use it all the time. Did you have a good cup of coffee? Well, yeah. You know, how was your holiday? Oh, it was good. And, and it's such a relative term. It wasn't awful. It was good. But God's goodness is absolute. When he created for those six days, at the end of day one, he said, it's good. And let's face it, there was no evil. There was nothing to compare it to. It was a perfect standard of goodness. Day one, two, three, four, five. And on the end, day six, it says, in your translation, it may say, very good. Another way to look at it is, there was an abundance of good. It was good everywhere you look. Because that is his nature. And that is something that we need to really get hold of. When Moses, in Exodus 33, says, Lord, show me your glory. Let's just face it for a moment. Moses, the guy who has seen his rod turn into a snake and back into a rod, the guy who has seen manna and quail from heaven, the guy who has seen water from a stone at the Red Sea part, God deliver an entire nation out of slavery. At that point, Moses said, can you show me your glory? I'd be happy with that measure of glory. That's a very high measure of glory that Moses has already seen. But he's caught hold of something. He says, there is so much good. There is so much glory in God. I, want, I know there's more. I want more. God, show me your glory. And God said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass before you. Because God's goodness is his glory. And we've got to somehow get this anchored deep into our hearts. It's, it's obvious, and yet it is so contested. Right from the start, right when um, the, the devil stepped into the Garden of Eden, the very first thing he wanted to do was try to undermine Adam and Eve's confidence in the goodness of God. He came to Eve and said, did God really say, you can't trust him? Don't trust his word. Don't listen to what he says about himself. I'll tell you a different story. And that is the same tactic that we get time and time again through every day of our lives as circumstances hit up against us. We are caused to question, is he, is he really good or is he just good on the level of a decent cup of coffee? No, he's really, he is incredibly good, better than you could ever ask or imagine. He is good. We've got to get this deep deep, deep into our hearts. I want to quickly recommend a book. It's called God is Good. Um, I've, I've read it a number of times. Every time I, I turn a page in it, it just, again, causes me to recalibrate and go, no, Lord, 
what I thought of you was here. What you say of yourself is there. I want to come back to that standard. If you've got time to read, if you've got time to audio book it, it's all available on Amazon. Have a listen, have a read. Let the truth of God's goodness calibrate your heart. It's absolutely essential and massive. I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine that God gets hold of you today and takes you to a place where there is an incredibly beautiful view. And he says, this is your life. This is the future that I have laid out before you. I have prepared good for you. I have prepared a land for you to walk into. This is your future. This is your destiny. It's full of beauty. It's full of wonder. I want you to go and enjoy it and embrace it and live it to the full. Are you ready? And everything in you is like, yeah, yes, I am. I want to go. I want to, I want to lay hold of this stuff. And then just as you're about to take your first step out onto this journey, he says, oh, hang on a second. I've placed a number of landmines out there, so just be careful as you go. <laughs> Something suddenly has changed inside your heart at that moment. Instead of like, right, I'm ready, I'm off, I'm going to sprint into this future, into my destiny with God, with absolute confidence, with absolute trust, expecting nothing but glory, suddenly it's like, uh, can I take even one step? Dare I trust what, what if the landmine that he's just talked about is there? Unfortunately, most of us carry some landmines in our hearts and in our minds because our confidence in his goodness has been eroded by the life experiences that we have suffered. Yeah? And so, when somebody like John Barfoot stands up here and says, Let's go for this. Let's go and knock on doors. Let's go and tell people how good God is. Something in us goes, oh, no, 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 he's not that good. I'm not prepared to trust him to run in that direction. But if he's really as good as he says he is, then don't we have confidence that when we represent him on someone's doorstep, that his goodness will flow through us and bring transformation? And yet we live back in this kind of safe zone. Okay, I've, I've tested that bit of land. I've tested that bit of land. I've even tested whew, that bit of land. And it's safe, but I'm not going over there. Because I've no idea if there's a landmine there. And my history tells me that there just might be. There just might be. We're called to live by faith, but... I, you, I will only exercise faith to explore my God-given inheritance and destiny to the extent to which I trust that he is good. If I think he is that good, then I'll go that far. If I think he's actually only this good, then I'm going to stay right here and I'm not going to risk anything. I'm not, I'm, my obedience my discipleship, my following after him is only going to allow me to go this far because I just don't trust his goodness for the next step. And so if we don't fully embrace this, this truth that he is absolutely trustworthy, absolutely kind, absolutely faithful, absolutely every other word you could imagine that comes under this word good, then we are going to limit how far we go. 
we are going to keep ourselves in a place of safety. And my, my own, as I kind of threw this around in my own head, my own experience, when I was 10 years old, there was a landmine that exploded. And it stuck in my head and it formed my, my thinking about God for the next 34 years. Yes, I'm actually more than 34 years old. Did you realize that? <laughs> just, just so you know. Um, when I was 10 years old, my dad died of cancer. And awful, awful situation. My younger brother was seven. Really devastating thing to happen to our family. And Christian people sometimes say not very wise things in those moments. And with every best intention in the world, people who I looked up to, who I trusted from my church environment in Northern Ireland, they, they, would, they gathered around us as a family and they said some weird stuff. And they said things like, God's taken, him to be with him. God's taken your dad to be with him in heaven. Now, as a little 10-year-old boy, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, okay, uh, I don't really like that. I'd much rather he was here, you know? Uh, God moves in mysterious ways. Oh, thanks for that one. <laughs> no, I'm not sure if I can trust him and he's mysterious. Um, what? What am I supposed to do with that? And and through all those kind of things, and you, you, I'm sure you know the kind of comments that people make in those moments. What lodged in my 10-year-old brain was, I don't know if I can actually trust God. Um, I don't know if the things that I want from, uh, the, the things that I see as, as good and wholesome and, and, and full of life, I don't know if Maybe he sees them completely different. And, and there was something in me that, that just retreated at that moment. And I, I began to, I guess, I, I wasn't sure whether I could pray for the things that I thought were good because I just had this kind of cataclysmic moment where good had just been redefined and suddenly good was full of pain. And I don't know if any of you guys here this morning have had similar life experiences that have just landed like landmines. And... And they've caused you to redefine God's nature, his kindness, his goodness, his trustworthiness, etc., etc. And even culturally, in our nations, in our many nations, we've got this unusual thing, just seeing someone over there who works in insurance. We have these strange little phrases within the world of insurance. Oh, that's an act of God. Now, what do we mean by that? Oh, well, acts of God include tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, plagues, pandemics. Acts of God have been defined by culture as being a whole raft of evil. And we take that on board. And so we begin to wonder, is he really? Is he really good? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And we have to recapture some of that land that has been stolen, some of that, that confidence and that permission in order to inherit the promises that he has laid out before us in our lives, in this church, in this region. Begin to live from a different foundation. Now, I understand why 
the world of insurance has these acts of God categorized because, let's face it, when we look at some of the Old Testament, we get a little bit, it's a, it's a pretty strange picture. Like, let's face it, even just talking about the story of Moses and the 10 plagues, who sent the 10 plagues? God did. Yep, that's tough to get our heads around sometimes, isn't it? And, and so it's important for us to understand what do we do with these predominantly Old Testament pictures of, of a God who sends plague, of a God who, uh, who creates calamity. How do, we, how do we handle this? Well, without wanting it to be overly simplistic, the answer is in Jesus. The answer is in Jesus. Here's Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. All of Old Testament history points to the person of Jesus. Without the person of Jesus, the picture that we have of the nature of God, of his goodness, would be a confusing one. But we are never meant to have a picture, an image of God that is to the exclusion of the person of Jesus Christ. Indeed, it is, it is Jesus that gives us the most clear, the most perfect picture of what the Father is like. Like, look at a light, if you can see one. Now, are you looking at the light, or are you looking at the light that comes from the light? Jesus is the light that has come from the light. He is light. He is the definition of, of God's nature. That's what the next little verse of this, of this passage says. So we've got to understand, it's really helpful. This, this really set me free when I realized, what's the, what are these Old Testament pictures? What are they there for? How do I, how do I handle these things? Because in the light of Jesus... We look at the Old Testament and we see that the Old Testament reveals the severity and the consequence of sin. It shows that humanity cannot save itself. It reveals our absolute need of a Savior and it points us to the person of Jesus. And then Jesus comes. And as Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. There are attributes of God's nature that we see in the Old Testament as he demonstrates to humanity again and again, that is evil, there is no life there, that will lead to death, this will lead to harm. Look at Jesus. He is my Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the only one who will reflect perfectly my nature. And so, Jesus recalibrates our understanding of what God is like and is the definition of good. So when we see the life of Jesus, we see the way he relates to humanity during his 33 years or thereabouts on the earth, during his three years of ministry that are actually captured in the Gospels. And when you see Jesus healing the sick, you see a representation of the good father. When you see Jesus raise the dead, this is a representation of the good father. When you see him put his arms around the outcast and the, the broken and the hopeless, when, he, when you see him drawing into his innermost circle people on the outskirts 
of society. This is a representation of the good father. When he restores hope, when he brings joy, when he feeds the hungry, when he clothes the person with no clothes. This is a representation of the good father. When he comes alongside that woman who has been, who has been um, pulled out of bed, caught in the very act of adultery, and Jesus lovingly restores her to the embarrassment of everybody else present, that is a representation of the good father. This, this incredible person, Jesus, is the living representation of what good is. He actually shows us what the father is like. Now, for 34 years after I was 10 years old, I lived with this kind of broken, crooked idea that actually God's not that good. And for nearly, nearly eight of those 34 years, you guys sent us to Asia to be missionaries. It's your fault. Yeah? And we went out there to do God's stuff, to plant church, to bring the gospel. And we went out there like broken, crooked, messed up individuals who didn't know that God was good. And what happened was that when we hit up against hardship and difficulty, the foundation that I was building my life on was revealed. Because circumstances don't necessarily break you, they just show you what brokenness is already present. And there was an awful lot of brokenness. And as we hit up against difficulty of trying to do life cross-culturally and learn language and all the stuff, my confidence in God's goodness was not in place. And so I didn't have the confidence. I didn't have the, the foundation in place to pray. You sent me out there as a missionary and I didn't even know how to pray. Because deep inside my head, ever since I was 10 years old, there was this dichotomy of, I think God says he's good, but my experience is God's not good. He's, he's not good. He is good. He's not good. Can I pray? Will he do it? I don't know if he wants to answer my prayers because his goodness doesn't feel like what I think good. And I was so confused. Maybe I'm just meant to have a really hard time in, in, in this nation. Maybe I'm just meant to struggle because, hey, Jesus had a hard life too. All of this kind of wacky, broken theology collided into my life experience, the life experience of our family as we were overseas. And you don't have to go overseas for that to happen, do you? It happens just as clearly here at home when you hit up against a difficult circumstance. If you do not know with absolute confidence as a child of God, I can go to my father and say, Lord, you're good, my situation sucks. Help me. And you can go to him with that absolute raw confidence because he's a good father. That is, the, that is the foundation that we, we, we need to be able to live from that. When we live through years of brokenness, when we live through um, difficult disease, when we live through some of the horrible stuff that this world throws at us. A few weeks ago, I mentioned almost in, in passing, life is like the twin tracks of battle and blessing. Isn't it? Some days are great. Blessing day. Some days it's just a battle. But if you don't know that God is good, when you hit the battle, you're going to crumble. You're going to fall apart. You're going to either blame God or blame yourself and just go to pieces. But if you have this 
absolute rock solid confidence. No, God is good. And because he's good, I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to hold on to him. And as you hold on to him, he brings you back to the days of blessing. So vital. We are running out of time. It sounds so simplistic. This verse um, hit me like a ton of bricks in February 2014 when we were overseas. And I was driving my car down a road and listening to some stuff, listening to some material, an MP3, I think it was, on the goodness of God. And in that moment, as the speaker outlined, the very simple truth that's shown here in this verse, the thief, the devil, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus has come that we may have life and have it in abundance. And it was this, this moment of devil, bad, God, good. Oh, like, that's not rocket science. You, you know, theologians are awesome, but you don't need a theologian to bring this revelation. Devil, bad, God, good. God is good. And as I drove my car down the road, tears started falling down my face. And I just, I had to pull the car over because it was like, whoa. For 34 years, I've had this distorted question in my head. God, are you, are you really, can I trust you? Are you good? Are you good? Do you want to bring life? Or actually, is this horrible stuff that I'm suffering, is this, is this you? And I had that horrible, nagging question in my, in my heart, day in, day out, as we struggled through life overseas. Suddenly, it was like the, the, the lights went on. And that's what I pray for all of us this morning, that the light will come on in our hearts, that we'll know he's good. He's absolutely good. And the question is, you know, where do you hang where do you hang your hurt? Because it's when the hurt comes, when the disappointment comes, when the challenges of life come, when the sickness comes, when the brokenness comes, when, when you're presented with some of this stuff, what do you do with it? Up until that point, my theological perspective was, well, I've, I've, because God is all-powerful, therefore I've got to I've got to basically blame God. I'm going to hang all this hurt on God and say, God, this, this is you, isn't it? And I think to some extent, we all probably do that. And we lock into some of these crooked thoughts. But actually, the revelation of that moment for me and the truth of John 10, 10 and the truth that is portrayed there for us in Exodus 33, where, Moses, where God displays all of his goodness to Moses. Is that when hurt and pain and disappointment and challenge come into our life, we don't have to say, well, God, this is all on you. Blame him, wag a finger at God. We actually get to hang it on at least another couple of places. Master E, Mr. E. <laughs> Scripture shows us, John 10, 10 shows us very clearly, the thief, the devil, comes to steal and kill and destroy. When hurt, when pain, when difficulty comes into your life or has come into your life or has been in your life for the last 25 years, you can say, that's the devil's work. That's his 
influence, trying to steal from me, trying to kill me, trying to destroy my family, trying to destroy my happiness, trying to rob me of all my hope. Because that's what Scripture says. It's true. And the other really helpful bit, sorry, it's come around in a bit of a slightly strange way, but this thing of mystery. Yes, God's ways are mysterious, but He is mysteriously good. And sometimes, as He's given you a promise to pursue, and you're pursuing that promise, and you're saying, Lord, you have called me to do X or Y, or to be such and such a person in this, in this scenario. You're pursuing that, but you're not seeing the breakthrough. And while you do not see the breakthrough, that Satan will be tempting you all the time. Blame God, blame God. He's let you down, he's let you down. No, you're never gonna let me down, we sang a few minutes ago. But there is this, there is this mystery where we hold on to his goodness and we say, Lord, I don't understand why I'm not seeing the breakthrough yet, but I'm gonna take another step and I'm gonna take another step because you're good, because you never change, because you never let me down. I will walk forward, even though it's painful right now, I will hold on to your goodness and trust that you will vindicate your own name, that you will prove yourself to be good. Don't know if you've ever gone, um, done one of these kind of treetop adventures where you go from tree to tree, you know, the zip lining and all that sort of stuff. Before you step out onto whatever wobbly platform you're heading towards, you make sure you've got your safety line on. And then you step out and you go all over the place. But the safety line's there. And that is what, that is what living, knowing he's good, does for us. We will get from tree to tree. It may be wobbly. We may sort of lose our balance every now and again and have a bit of a, a, bit of a wobble but if we're connected into the revelation that he is endlessly, endlessly, endlessly good, then we'll, we'll make progress. We'll go forward. This is what he wants. This is one of the things that he wants us to get hold of, but I do believe it's actually one of the most foundational things that he wants us to lay hold of, because if we don't have this in place, where do we go?